I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. How long ago did you get here? About, say, 40, three days ago. 40 minutes? <laughs> You've been here for 45 minutes, minutes yeah, already? You're still waiting for your pizza? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Is it worth the wait? We won't, we're asking ourselves that question. You ever waited in a crazy long line for some famous pizza or barbecue? Was it worth it? It's just part of the experience in Hall. If you want the best pizza, you have to wait as long as you need to. Today, we take a trip to a legendary Brooklyn pizzeria that's famous for their slices and their line. I'm getting aggravated. I'm getting aggravated. It's hot. I could kill over right now. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Quick note before we get into the show, limited edition Cascatelli gift boxes are back just in time for Mother's Day and Father's Day. This is a four-pack of pasta plus the special recipe booklet and dish towel. They're already going fast because I told our newsletter subscribers about this a week ago. See, you really should sign up for the newsletter. Anyway, there are still a few left, so go to Sfolini's website to get yours. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I dot com. Thanks. All right, let's do this. Look up any list of the best slices of pizza in New York, and Defara Pizza is going to be there. It's been in the same spot deep in Brooklyn since 1965. And for more than half a century, it was always run by the same guy, Dom DeMarco. Dom died last month. He was 85. His daughter, Maggie, wrote on Instagram, I worked alongside him since I was a little girl. He was the hardest working man I know. Dom was born in Caserta, Italy, came to the U.S. in 1959 with just 30 bucks. He opened Defara six years later and never left. The critic Pete Wells of the New York Times described Dom as a link between the cooking of southern Italy and the city's corner slice institution. Wells said other cooks, quote, probably wouldn't equal Mr. DeMarco's stolid fastidiousness, but they could try. Another of New York's top pizza makers called Dom the Joe DiMaggio of pizza. I visited Defara Pizza for the first time back in 2016, and I remember watching Dom at work, carefully snipping pieces of fresh basil, drizzling each slice with olive oil. So today, we're going to replay that episode. It's a tribute to Dom, as well as a deep dive into the psychology and economics of long lines. Enjoy. You can get really good pizza in a lot of places in America, certainly in New York, without having to wait in a long line. Why is Defara's worth it? Part of it is it's a destination restaurant. People are willing to wait in line. It's like barbecue joints in Texas. It's self-validating, right? It's like, I just drove 500 miles. There's a line. I must be in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) This is Ed Levine. He's the founder of Serious Eats, and he wrote a whole book about pizza. 
Now, as I said, Defara is famous for its pizza, for its history, for Dom, but it's also famous for one other thing, the line. Everyone knows that when you go to Defara, you are going to have to wait a long time for your food. That's why I never went. I didn't want to deal with that line. Then one day I was tweeting with Ed, and I said, Ed, look, I've been putting off going to Defara. Should I go? Is it worth it? And he said, yes, Defara is special. So I decided to give it a shot. Of course, if I was going to wait that long for my pizza, I was going to make Ed keep me company. This is a long-standing tradition of a line. It's not, in other words, it's like clubs. You know, sometimes when a new hot club opens, the velvet rope line is really long of all the wannabes that want to get in, and then they move on, right? So it, it's fashion. And what's interesting about a line like Tafara's, it hasn't changed. You know, there's still a line. Well, right, so it's interesting. Some of the, like you say, some of these line places, it's a status symbol. Yes. So, like, what is the difference then with a place like Defara's? Is it the history? Is it, what is it? It is, it is, it is still status, for sure. It is history, and part of that history is that Dom DeMarco is still making pizza. You know, he cuts the basil. You know, he cuts the oregano. He uses two or three kinds of cheese. There are qualitative differences. Whether it's worth the wait, it is a unique slice. The day we were there, it was super hot in the 90s, really humid. Dom DeMarco's daughter, Maggie, she takes the orders. She announced they weren't opening the inside of the restaurant. They needed to conserve their meager AC. So all orders went through the window on the street and everyone had to wait outside. We talked to some people in line. Here's Lisa. It's a very, it's a very Brooklyn thing and I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm here for experience. And I guess part of waiting outside is part of the, part of the experience. Yes, I would say that after a certain amount of time it turns into aggravation. And that is, is a, a thin line. So let's say one is pure bliss, wonderful experience, and 10 is total aggravation, experience ruined. <laughs> and five is the tipping point. Uh-huh. Where are we right now? Well, right now I'm with my friends here. It's my birthday and I'm not at work. So I say we're, we're, we're doing good. It's a little hot for me, but then I'm from California, so I'm a wimp when it comes to weather. But other than that, it's good. Ed and I actually got to the front of the line in like five or 10 minutes kind of not so bad. But one thing we would learn is that a big part of the wait at Defara comes after you order. Could I please have two regular slices? And should I, should I get one plain square slice, Ed? Sure. Yeah, get, get, just get a, get a plain. Plain square? Yeah. Okay, so one plain square, please. Okay. Now, it was time to wait. How's it going? Good, how are you, man? Good, what's your name? Alden. Alden, you're standing here with a frustrated look on your face. I'm not that frustrated. I'm just hungry, man. <laughs> How long have you been waiting for this pizza? Uh, I don't know. We were in line for like 20 minutes, and then I think it's been like 10, maybe, maybe five. I don't know. Where are you in from? Dallas. So you've never been here before? I've never been here before. What are your expectations at right now? I mean, if it's this long, it has to be good. We'll get back to Defara in a bit, but what that last guy, Alden, said was kind of true for me, too. Expectations were building in that line. So is that a good thing for the eating experience? 
I reached out to Dick Larson. He's a professor at MIT who studies the mechanics and the psychology of lines. He goes by the nickname Dr. Q, as in Q-U-E-U-E. The longer the wait, the higher your expectation is of the quality of service you're about to get. The simple example is in supermarkets. A housewife or house husband with $200 worth of groceries for their family for the week, that's a big service, checking that out. And so they expect to wait longer than somebody who goes through through self-checkout or express lanes. So the same, I think, is true in restaurants. If you're going to wait, be willing to wait an hour for your piece of pizza, that piece of pizza better darn well be very, very good. So big expectations can be a problem because Dr. Q says the key to happy customers in any service business is to surpass expectations. The people at Disney World, I believe, are the Machiavellian experts of the psychology of queuing. So you might see a sign on a Disney queue saying, well, if you join the queue here, you can anticipate one hour of delay. But that sign is usually put at a place where it might only be 45 minutes of delay. So the sign deliberately overestimates that duration. So when they get on the four-minute ride, husband says to wife, look, dear, we're 15 minutes ahead of schedule. But managing expectations isn't always so simple for a restaurant. Doug Stone spent 13 years running a famous hot dog and sausage joint in Chicago called Hot Doug's. It was known for items like duck sausage with foie gras on top or duck fat fries, you know, light fare. Also, Hot Doug's was known for its crazy long lines. Doug was burnt out. He announced he was going to close up shop, but he gave six months advance notice. And in those final months, the lines got longer and longer and longer. At the end, people were waiting two, three, four hours for their food. Yeah. Was it cool that there was a line out the door and people down the block and it looked great? It was wonderful for the publicity. But it made for, in, in some ways, it's, it's tough. It's tough because you're already in a mindset where you're now trying to weigh, well, is this worth it or not? Which is an, sort of an absurd question. Anyways, when people ask me, is it worth waiting in line for? And I'm like, if you think it is. But you did have a certain sense of like, I guess it's maybe it's uh, impossible expectations. People walk in the door with impossible expectations when they've been waiting for your food for two hours. That's, that's part of it. Yeah. And part of it was... You know, I mean, I felt a tiny bit of pressure, but at the same token, you know, I forced myself not to in the sense, well, that was your choice. But that each, you know, 10 minutes over an hour and a half, people will just get, rightfully so. I mean, I'm not saying this is a negative thing, a little, a little crankier, certainly hungrier. And, you know, you're expecting, you know, get in line at 12. If you're having lunch at 12.20, 12.30, fine. If you're having lunch at 2.15, 2.30, not that great. For Doug, towards the end, all the hype around the restaurant and the line had another downside. If I heard the, the phrase bucket list uh, one more time towards the end there, I was going to just beat someone severely <laughs> with, with a baseball bat. So it, it's like, oh, gosh. What, what, why? Because it sounds corny or because? It's, it's just because part of me felt that's not what I set out to create. The goal was to create this place where you went and sat and had lunch and had a meal, where you didn't photograph everything, where you didn't Instagram everything, where you didn't overanalyze everything. And then it just kind of became, okay, well, now you're doing this to say you went here. 
But Dr. Q says a lot of people love the exact kind of line that Doug's talking about, the kind of line they have at DeFaris. He calls them celebratory cues. And he says they're really different from waiting at the post office. It's not unlike the iPhone 8 coming out. There's bragging rights. People take selfies. You know, uh, you can tell your friends and neighbors you were the first one to get this iPhone. So it sounds like this DeFaris is a little bit like the celebratory queue. Uh, maybe some selfies go on Facebook and say, hey, I was there. I paid $5. It was pizza was great. But even though it gets us bragging rights, we still don't love long lines. Dr. Q says there are some simple ways restaurants could make our experience better. First, keep the line moving. Research shows we're happier after spending an hour in a line that's moving quickly than an hour in a line moving slowly, even though we spend an hour either way. Second, just have a single line, even if it's long. You know that setup with the multiple registers and the multiple lines, and you got to like strategize and figure out which is the best line to be in? That stresses us out. The guarantee of first come, first serve seems to make people much more, much happier and less threatened by social unfairness. That's, so people really care about the line being fair. Correct. They care about that more than they care about the duration of the wait. Also, while we're waiting, distract us. Disney has that one down. Basically, the amusement starts when you're in the queue channel because you see photographs of things going on, cartoons, images, things that kids can play with. It's a similar principle when you go to a restaurant and they give you the buzzer or they take your cell phone number and call you when your table's ready. You can go off and get distracted. There's a barbecue place in Austin called Franklin. It's known for its long lines. But at Franklin, while you're waiting, you can drink. And that's its own special kind of distraction. Maybe Disney should try that. I gotta say, give me a case of beer. I'll wait all day to meet Anna and Elsa. Anyway, there is one more way to improve your experience in line. Wait with the right people. Dr. Q, do you think of yourself as a fun person to wait in line with? No. <laughs> <laughs> Without hesitation, right. no, no. Dr. Q has his own little ways of trying to avoid cues. Okay, tell, I'll tell give me you about a, some of them, yeah. Okay, so for lunch, there's a place, a national chain, which has excellent food. And what I get every day is the minimum queuing food, namely soups. They have six excellent, or sometimes eight, excellent soups they, they create every day. Those are self-serve and check out with Apple Pay so there's no cash, and I'm in and out fast. This place also has excellent sandwiches, but the sandwich queue is 15 to 20 humans deep. I have never ordered a sandwich there. Do you think that that restaurant's bottom line would be better off if they manage their queue more efficiently and thus persuaded you to order an occasional sandwich, and then maybe you'd eat the sandwich and see how amazing they were and tell all your friends about it, and then they'd want to come? <laughs> yeah. Coming up, we'll take you back to DeFaris to see how everyone there is holding up. And I'll talk to a doctor about how long waits affect your appetite. Then, spoiler alert, we will actually eat. But will it be worth the effort? Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Mm-mm, it's very good. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. 
You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in like in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line, they take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. 
Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. In last week's show, I talked with Duff Goldman from Food Network's Ace of Cakes and Kids Baking Championship. He's known for his over-the-top cakes, like a life-size motorcycle cake he made that came complete with a revving engine and fake exhaust. Duff's always wanted to do things his way, and as he told me, at times that's gotten him into trouble, like when he worked at McDonald's as a teenager and decided to put his own spin on the fries. Listen, I just thought that they needed like another 25 seconds. You wanted them to be a little more, a little golden brown, a little crispier. Tiny bit more. They weren't into it. (laughs) (laughs) People make mistakes. Who was making the mistakes in the scenario? You or McDonald's? McDonald's. They knew. (laughs) That episode's up now. Check it out. All right. Let's get back to the scene outside Defara Pizza. I was with Ed Levine, founder of Serious Eats and renowned pizza expert. And while we were waiting, we talked about how a long wait at a place like this can affect your order. The other thing I'm wondering, do you think that when the longer people wait, the bigger their orders are? You know, I've often thought about that because especially in a slice place, I always used to, because maybe I was just trying to kid myself that one slice would do the trick. So I'd say, oh, but I could always order another. Right, but here you don't have that option. You don't have that option. In fact, as we sit here, I'm thinking to myself, like, I feel like I should have gotten a second regular slice. Yes. Hang on, I'm going to go change our order. (laughs) All right, it's Maggie. That's her name, right? Okay, all right, go talk to Maggie. Adding another slice to our order did give me a temporary boost of adrenaline, but that faded pretty fast. At this point, it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, It's in the mid-90s, it's humid, the sun is beating down on us mercilessly, and we are starving. This does not feel like a celebratory cue. I checked in with Lisa. She's the woman you heard earlier from California. Lisa, I see you pacing back and forth nervously in front of the window. Where are we on a scale from 1 to 10 now? I'm a little hot. Was 10 the worst? Yeah, 10 means it's a disaster and this pizza can't possibly be worth it. 1 is pure bliss. Uh, well, you have to understand that nothing is sheer bliss because <laughs> because uh, of the, my background as a uh, you know neurotic Jewish woman. So nothing. Who left New York? So you like woke up at a three, right? Basically. Okay. Exactly. And I have a mother who's a nine. Okay. So so yeah, I'm uncomfortable, and it doesn't help that I can't sit down and eat my pizza. Right. I'm, I'm at about a six or seven. Okay, so we're past the tipping point where you're you are starting to. I'm getting aggravated. Okay. I'm getting aggravated. It's hot. It's hot. All right. I this... could kill over right now. Three slices for Ollie. Don't know how long you've been waiting for your pizza. Uh, about 45 minutes. Where are you from? Australia. Are you here visiting? Yep. Where are you staying? Harlem. Manhattan. That's f- far from here. Yeah. So how long did it take you just to get here? About it's uh, an hour, right? Yeah, about an hour. Yeah. Took you an hour to get here. You've been waiting 45 minutes for your pizza. Yeah. It's also it's it's like 90 something degrees out today. Yeah. It's, it's not a pleasant day to be waiting outside. No, it's not. How has your state of mind evolved over these 45 minutes? Uh, pretty much the same. Just just wanting pizza. <laughs> but I mean, like, are you getting a little bit antsy? A little bit, yeah. A little frustrated. Yeah. Starting to wonder if this was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> As we stood out there on the sidewalk, what really struck me was just how slowly the pizza was coming out. I mean, many minutes would go by without a single person getting a single slice. I asked Maggie, Dom DeMarco's daughter, why? Well, now I would say age, but (laughs) before then, 
just the process. He, you know, he's, he's an artist. What he does is, is more of an art. When we first recorded this episode in 2016, Maggie's dad, Dom, was 79. She said that for the first 40 years of the place, Dom made every single slice himself. By the time I visited, he'd started accepting a little help, but he was still making maybe 90% of the pizzas. Even right before the pandemic, Dom was still back there every day. And I gotta say, seeing him hunched over that counter, cutting the basil by hand for every single slice, I found it kind of moving. Like, over all these years, how many people from all over the world have come to this place to eat this pizza made by this man? And now, I was going to get to be a part of that. I was able to pull Dom away from his work for just a minute. My name is Dominic. What's my job title? Make a pizza. It seems like part of the experience of coming here is that people wait a long time for their food. Yeah, they do, yeah. Do you feel like you, you, you like it to be the way it is, or would you like to try to find a way to, to make it go faster? No, I like it like this, yeah. Why? What do you like about it? It's uh, because it's perfect that way, you know. I make a lot of pies. Costumes, they wait a longer time. And sometimes when you come over here, you're going to take a day off. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for me, I didn't have to take a day off because this is my job. Same for Ed, my spirit guide on this quest. But now we've been waiting for about 45 minutes. Ed was slumped on the only bench around, and for yeah, both of us, actually, yeah. this was a tough day at the office. So we're clearly not getting special treatment. Yeah, You're very democratic. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I thought you were going to pull some strings for us here, Ed. I, I know. There's obviously <laughs> no strings to pull. Right. <laughs> I am. I'm getting very. I'm. 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 I'm I got to say, I'm starting to feel like I'm past my hunger peak. The heat and the weight and the. You know, the humidity, I, I don't know, I gotta say, I mean, maybe when I get that first bite, I'll be right back in the zone. I but. think so. I think so. I think your blood sugar is, you know, plummeting and you're, yeah, you're feeling it. Yeah, we were feeling it. But what exactly were we feeling? What goes on in your body when you're waiting so long for your food? Is there such thing as a hunger peak? We reached out to Dr. Mark Friedman. He spent years studying appetite and eating at the Monell Chemical Census Center. He confirmed that heat and dehydration can make you feel less hungry. But if you haven't eaten in a long time on a physiological level, you're still hungry, even if you don't feel it. Dr. Friedman explained what was happening to Ed and me as we waited outside Defara. Thinking about food or smelling it or seeing it can elicit a bunch of physiological reflexes, which are called cephalic phase reflexes, cephalic referring to the head, because you're either thinking about it, seeing it, or smelling it, hearing it if somebody's eating crunchy food next to you. And these reflexes prepare the body for the incoming wave of food that you're about to eat. So you have hormones that start getting secreted, you have gastric juices starting to flow, and so on. And thinking about food can do that. And, and what happens if those responses continue to be triggered for a longer period of time, and yet you don't get the food? So while you're standing in line waiting in the, you know, to eat in the restaurant, you may feel hungry at times. You may stop feeling hungry, just like if you're busy at lunch and you don't eat. You may have been hungry, but now you're not even thinking about it. So 
your attention essentially is drawn away from, from that hunger, from those sensations to something else. So you're not feeling hungry, but you're still hungry physiologically. And when that happens, when you kind of feel like you've gone so long without eating that you lose your appetite, what is actually happening physiologically? When you're fasting, your body is supplying itself with energy from your stored fuels, stored food, if you will. So it could be that these feelings of hunger that wax and wane or go away is because your body is, for example, it goes away because you haven't eaten and your body says, okay, I need some more, and it mobilizes more of this energy uh, for immediate use. And then that maybe alleviates your hunger a little bit. I mean, this is pure speculation, but you can, you know, but it's conceivable, but we just, we don't know. To me, what, what I am continually surprised about is something as basic as hunger, is how little we actually know about it. So, Mark, when you're waiting to eat, what's your strategy for managing your hunger? Well, I'd say my strategy is more to manage my irritability. Um, <laughs> I, I tend, like a lot of people, I think, I get irritable when I'm hungry. In fact, my students, when I was teaching, my graduate students knew not to come talk to me around lunchtime. And my family certainly knows that. So the idea of getting hangry, that's real. And back at Defara, our friend Lisa from California, seemed like she reached her boiling point. Lisa? They just called Lisa's name. I don't see Lisa. Did Lisa give up? We, we seem to have lost Lisa. I think she went to go find air conditioning. I know, I think so too. <laughs> I, think, I think it had reached a 10. The two younger guys who had been with Lisa, they were still there. They grabbed the pizza and they took off down the street. They wouldn't tell me where they were going or where Lisa was, but I gathered she must have gone to some undisclosed air-conditioned location to await the food. Meanwhile, Dylan, the guy from Australia, he and his girlfriend Viv finally got their pizza. Well, it tastes nice, and the crust is good, and it's all over my hands. It's how you eat pizza. <laughs> it's on your nose. So you waited 45 minutes? Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. I mean, we won't be here if, again, probably in our lives. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's worth it. Sure. Is it worth it because the pizza tastes so good or because you can now say you've been here? Yeah, so probably the latter, here. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. We've done that. Exactly. So if it wasn't famous, would you feel like it wasn't worth it? Because you wouldn't have that. Then you have no bragging rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was really good, but yeah. it could have been good in five minutes as well. <laughs> <laughs> Then there was Alden from Dallas. He and his mom finally got their pizza too. Was it worth it? For sure. It's it pretty good. It was a really it's good pretty pizza. Good. I should have got a whole thing. I would have eaten it all. It lives up to the hype. Oh yeah, for sure. This lives is excellent. Up to the hype. But I would caution close relatives to be prepared for a long wait. Yeah, <laughs> this takes forever. <laughs> How much of your satisfaction with this pizza is the actual taste of the pizza and the fact that now you can tell all your friends you've been here? Most of my friends don't know about this place, so I think it's just the taste, mostly. I mean, it really is good. I didn't know it would be such an adventure, though. Then, after nearly an hour, we heard the call from the window. Ed? Ed? Our pizza was ready. Let's dig in. Yeah. Typically, at this point, you'd hear Ed and me bite into our pizza and say, Mmm, ah, it's so good. But funny thing happened there at Defara, which is that I forgot to point the microphones at our faces to 
record our reactions. I was blinded by hunger. I scarfed that first slice down so fast, I have no memory of it. And I guess that says something about what happens when you wait too long to eat. Thank God I ordered that extra slice. And once I got into those second, third slices, I was able to appreciate it a little more. So first, the thin crust slice. Now typically, pizza is very mozzarella-centric. The cheese is very rich and creamy. But Ed explained to me that Dom DeMarco uses a cheese called Grana Padano, a much sharper cheese, sort of like a Parmigiana Reggiana. This is actually, a, it's, a, it's more like a composed Italian-American dish rather than a slice of pizza. Then there was the thick crust Sicilian square slice. Dom cooks it with a ton of oil, so when he takes it out of the oven, you can hear it sizzling, and that oil is basically frying the bottom crust. And when you bite into it, you can hear the crunch. Yeah, I remember to record that. In the moment, that Sicilian was the best slice of Sicilian I ever had, and it was the clear winner at Defara's, I thought. But it's interesting, hours later, I found myself craving the sharpness and the balance of flavors from the thin crust slice. As Ed and I finished eating, there was one more question left to answer. Was it worth the wait? I thought I was gonna say no. And even though we did wait over an hour, it really was an experience. And I was reminded, I haven't been here in a long time, that it really is an experience. It's not simply eating a slice of pizza. You know, so the line is part of it, and the craft that goes into every slice is still part of it. I think of this, I think the piece is outstanding. The combination of the location being out of the way, at least for where I live and where you live, and the long wait. I'm very glad I came. I think this experience was worth the wait. But I don't know that I would do it again. No, yeah, you might, you, you might do it once a year or you might want to show a friend it. Right. But you're right. Like next Friday, if I was like in the mood for a slice, there's no way I'd come here. Well, Ed, thanks a lot. Thank you, Dan. It was great, man. The pizza was awesome. Thanks for reminding me why, why this place is so special. R.I.P. Dom DeMarco. I think if you've ever tried to pursue perfection in any craft, any skill, no matter what it could be, you can take inspiration from Dom DeMarco. One follow-up note, Defara is still open. You can still go visit and eat their pizza, and I hear it's still very, very delicious. There's even a second location these days in Manhattan. It just won't be Dom back there behind the counter snipping your basil. My thanks to Ed Levine, founder of Serious Eats. If you like food podcasts, which I'm guessing you probably do, check out the Serious Eats podcast, which Ed hosts. It's called Special Sauce. Ed has long-form conversations with people from chefs like our friend Kenji Lopez-Alt to artists and writers like Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast. You can find Special Sauce wherever you got this podcast. This episode was originally produced by me, along with Ann Sandy and Caitlin Pierce. We had editing help from Shoshana Gold. Special thanks to Irva Gunja. This update was produced by Johanna Mayer and mixed by Jared O'Connell. Our team also includes Emma Morgenstern, Andres O'Hara, and Tracy Samuelson. Music help from Black Label Music. And this week we say goodbye to Daisy Rosario, who's been our executive producer for the last several years. She's done a fantastic job helping to guide our show and support us, so thank you, Daisy. Good luck wherever you land. And we say welcome to our new executive producer, Eric Eddings. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm David Quinn in New York reminding you to eat more. 
eat better and eat more better. <laughs>